with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Hey, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. This is the second hour of our two-hour radio extravaganza. I guess it's every week, so it's not really an extravaganza, not really. whatever. I am Ron Kolick, and with me <laughs> is my co-host, the blonde bombshell herself, or as I call her, the blonde nomshell, uh, <laughs> and Kerrigan. Hi. Hello, everybody. Hope you're all doing well. Yeah, I, I saw you posted, and I'm like, wait, I'm the blonde nomshell? What? What? Um, Fix that. Typing, <laughs> typing is not my big thing. I noticed that. Yeah, I have big problems with it. Sometimes I edit things three or four times, of course, after they've been published. Because uh, <laughs> my brain just goes, I don't have, I just way ahead, and I just type stuff out and have no clue. Uh, anyway, it is what it is. Right, so, that's true. All right. So you are all excited? Am I excited? Yeah. Yeah. For what? Wow. Huh? For what? The show? It's big? No, it's a big, big event coming up. Oh, the wedding? Yeah. No, no. It's, 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 uh, it's only a couple of days. It'll be National Bikini Day. <laughs> Oh joy! I thought yeah. so. Yeah, I thought. Every, uh, every, how could every, I forget National every, Bikini Day? Every woman's favorite day. Oh God, no! Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Some people really go into it. I'm sure all those beautiful young girls with bikini bods. And some of them shouldn't go into it. Some of them should not. Oh I'm no, just sir! Saying. Oh man, I was recently uh, in uh, Virginia Beach uh, and. Saw things I can't unsee. That's all I have to say. I mean, yep. I get it. You're comfortable. If you're comfortable in the skin you're in, I know. Go for it, girl. But it doesn't mean I want to see all of your skin. I don't. I'm mm. sorry. But whatever. What if I float your boat? I guess. Mm. John so- says I should add another hour to the morning show. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get in enough trouble in the morning show as it is in one hour and two hours. I don't know. I don't know how many more people I can. Uh, yeah, it's like get a yeah, <laughs> yeah. Plus, no. Roxy could probably kill you. Who? Roxy, isn't she She's, still doing the morning show with no, you? No, she doesn't do the morning show. She hasn't done the morning show in three months. Oh well, how am I supposed to know that? Uh, I don't know. Listen, like listen. I listen to it. That's not my problem. That's not my problem either. Thank God. You should. <laughs> it's an amazing show, Lou and I, and we had Steve on last last Monday, and uh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I didn't know she hadn't been there. Yeah, she hasn't been on for three months, anyways, at least. Oh. Uh, but anyway, so moving right along, um, we don't have a guest today. I saw that. I noticed that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here we are, gang. It's just me and Ron. Everybody's now going, oh, God, no, it's going to No, be- you know, people, I got a lot of good 
reviews from the uh, Paranormal Pillow Talk we did last week, which was oh, uh, yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. You had my buddy Lizzie on. I had Liz and Leslie, and yeah, I had the two L's, R-L-L, L-L, yeah, R-L-L. I was uh, Ronnie, Victoria, and we had Pillow Talk. That's Paranormal awesome. Paranormal Pillow Talk, yep, and it was good. Everybody loved it. Lots of things came out that... Uh, I never knew. Let's put it that way. I'm going to have to listen to that. I'm no, gonna, I, you don't have to. I, nah, I wouldn't listen to it. Nah, why? Did you talk uh, about me? Did you say things about me while I was gone? No, huh? no, <laughs> no. It's not always about you, Anne. Oh, damn. I thought it was. I thought the whole world revolved around me. No, no, no. Once you're gone, doesn't? you're gone. <gasps> Once you're gone, you don't exist. That's it. Oh, wow. See ya. Anyway. I know it's sad. But I, I th- thank you for having Lizzie on. I think that's awesome. I know she was excited about it, and uh, and that's that's good. I threw it out there, and uh, she answered the call. Nice. So, there you go. Mm-hmm. Anyway, lots of exciting things happening, of course, uh, with this uh, whatever we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and... Uh, the one good thing is coming out of it, of course, is uh, we're doing these uh, workshops online, which is kind of fun because people from different parts of the com- country are, are getting involved in it. And uh, Oh, that's cool. That's fun. I mean, the yeah. first one we did, uh, Maureen and I, uh, we had over almost 50 people sign up for it, uh, which was pretty awesome. That's fabulous. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's it's exciting. We, we have one uh, – Let's see, uh, on July Tomorrow, is it? July 21st, we are doing the, oh, uh, Leslie and I are doing scrying, a workshop on scrying online, so you Sweet. can sign up for that through Circles of Wisdom. And then on the 20, I guess that's the 20, I can't even read it. 23rd, I think it is. You can go check it out. It's uh, automatic writing, which we did before and was really popular. So they right. asked us to do it again. So we are. So there you go. Oh, that's sweet. That's the one I was thinking of that I don't know why I thought it was tomorrow. But uh, I had I had seen the post about that. So yeah. very cool. Yeah, that's right. that was fun. That was enjoyable. And uh, so, so the first one you did automatic writing too? Your first workshop? No, my first work with the fifty people. Any... No, that was uh, on Ghost Chronicles. It was on our books. Oh, okay. I thought. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, it was on our books. And then no, we've done a, a bunch of them. Uh, originally, I've been I've been doing well. I started. I used to do the paranormal uh, paranormal study group at Three Circles of Wisdom in Andover for mm-hmm. hundred years, and then uh, I stopped doing it for a while and. Um, I brought it back when they moved them to Methuen. We decided to do it, so it started again in January. January was an introduction workshop, and we had people come into that. The, then the, the next one, which was at Circles, uh, we had we did it on psy, uh, psychometry, one of my favorite subjects. Mm, I love that, that as well. Yeah, and then the third one was on uh, haunted objects. We did uh, that's when the virus hit, and we did that. At circles, we were social distance at that time, mm-hmm. and then after that, we went online, and it mm-hmm. was protection, automatic writing, um, and uh, we're doing scrying this month. So I think that's covers oh. it. I think 
I know it does. You know what? It, 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 there's bad things. There's good things. Um, and, and like you said, the good thing is, is how many more people you can reach yeah. because of it. Mm-hmm. And people who might not ever have known anything about the subject. So right. that, mm-hmm. that is really great. Yeah, I right. love those psychometry. We did that at One Circles workshop that I attended up in Andover with you. Right. That was really cool. Um, and it's amazing what, what some people pick up. Oh, excellent. I mean, we, this one went really well. And I had a laugh because for those who don't know what psychometry is, psychometry is is reading the energy on objects. So in other words, you get an object, you hold on for a while, you kind of close your eyes, and and whatever comes to you, you basically write it down. So you're reading the energy, whatever is on this object. And uh, what I usually do is I have a whole variety of objects from all different types, all different made of different materials as well, because some people believe that certain materials can hold energy better than other materials. But anyway, so we, we do that thing. And then, uh, yeah, it went really well. And, and at the very end of it, uh, we paired off into twos and we had did psychometry for each other. Otherwise, so there was a, a couple, one person, and other. these were people you didn't know. You had to team up with someone you didn't know in mm-hmm. the group, and then you try to read it. And it was pretty darn good. Everybody, and I had a laugh because I always tell everybody, I says like, okay, uh, you know, you get what you get. Don't worry about it. Don't get nervous. You know, there's no right or wrong. Blah blah blah. Well. We had a nod number in a class, so I had to do the psychology. And it's like, oh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> because I not? Well, honestly, when I'm doing these classes, I'm in a different mode. I'm really, you know, teaching more than try to participating. And, and uh, so I, for some reason, I was extremely nervous about it, but I did extremely well, which was really good. So it made me feel good anyway. Uh, anyway. That's good. Psychometry is a lot of fun. It's it's a fun thing to do, and uh, uh, anybody can do it. And, and you can practice uh, with if you get somebody else, and you 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 basically can get an object that they ha- have, and and give them an object that you have, and hold on to it, and just kind of whatever comes to you, write it down. And then after it's all done, you ask each other about it and uh, see how you did. So mm. it's kind of cool. That is cool. Yeah. yeah. Do you think there's one material in particular? Uh, that people kind of latch on to? I don't think so. And I mean, there are some people uh, individually that might do better with, for instance, jewelry versus, uh, um, uh, you know, a cloth item. Uh, But there are other items that, uh, you know, other people would do better with the cloth items than the jewelry. Mm. Uh, it, it's, I think it's a, an it's a personal preference thing. For instance, if you're a, you do psychic detective work and, uh, you work with all different objects at times. And, and so you're working, uh, you know, you're getting different information, even though you other which you say, Oh, I can only do jewelry. Well, there may not be jewelry available. You might have to work with a picture. You might have to work with uh, whatever, a, a sweater or a whatever. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it's – it's and, and the interesting thing is when you do psychic detective work, if you have a group that it's actually better because of that particular reason. There are – That's true. Uh, there are – that might pick up certain things that – 
one person might not pick, another person might pick up, so you can get a better picture of it. I, I believe, anyways, and that's my own belief. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway. Yeah, we did that class with uh, Maureen Wood at a oh, last year's fair quest year before. Well, I think she did it last year too. She did it one uh, year. She did yeah. it. Did it with me last year, if you remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Right. I had, but I had taken the workshop the year before, and yeah. I, just, I just sucked at it. <laughs> just absolutely sucked. But I, we were just looking at pictures. Um, right. So you looked at the picture of the person, and then just wrote down again whatever you got. And uh, but it was really, really interesting. Uh, and and like some of them, you had to say, are they alive or are they dead? Yeah. Um, and things like that. So right. mm. <laughs> I was not good at it, but uh, it's enjoyable. I, I like doing it anyways, you know, because it's it's learning is basically what it is. You know, yeah. it's yeah. so I'd rather have an object. Right. I would, too. I really yeah. do. I like I love psychometry. Yeah, uh, there's there's another one called photo scrying uh, or photo psychometry, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's just reading a photo, which which you did, I yeah. guess, the, the time before. But uh, there are there are, there are a lot of different things you can do. And uh, thing. now people are still bugging me about spirit. Quest. we haven't spirit. Quest. we're not having spirit. Quest. Mm-hmm. And I spoke with uh easy pack as you know i have not put tickets on sale mm-hmm. and it looks like i will have spirit cut this year but uh it will be limited extremely limited to the number of people so ah uh, right uh we are going to have spirit quests this year great uh, for those who keep asking me about it <laughs> <laughs> so if you really want to get in there folks bug them <laughs> i yeah i will be putting tickets on sale i guess uh so that's the only way to Tie it down because then I need it. We are going to restrict the number of people, and of course, it all could change. We don't know, but um, that's what we're looking at right now. So, anyway, everybody wear your mask and behave. Okay, yep, yep. Listen, listen, folks, I'm going to put this out here right now. My daughter's getting married September 18th. If anybody doesn't wear their mask and you screw this up, I am going to be beyond myself. So wear your mask and wash your hands and whatever you're supposed to do. Okay? Yeah, All right. That's my little public service announcement. Good for you. We're having a wedding. <laughs> I have to kill somebody to do it. <laughs> oh, you find a venue. <laughs> no, and it's outside. It is oh, outside. Oh, that's a great thing. Great yeah. Thing. It's a tent. It's a mm-hmm. tent. Big tent. Mighty big tent. So anyways, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. So that's, there you all. Go. that's all I have to say. Do it out there. Right. Positive energy. Totally. All I've been saying, I'm like, oh, we're having a wedding. Yep. So there you go. <laughs> Two and a half years in the planning, we're not going to have this little pandemic. <laughs> God help us. Yeah. So many people, so many brides and grooms have have suffered. Oh, it's yeah. Sad, but. Very sad. Yeah. Ah, it doesn't matter to me. Be honest with you. Yeah, I know. I know it doesn't. <laughs> my 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 wedding was a blur. So whatever. <laughs> I look well, back now, it's like, okay, yeah, it's whatever. It's like 100 years ago, so. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, it's it's more who you marry than how you get married, the way I look at it. So, oh, so yes. yes. Anyway. So we uh, should talk a little bit about the paranormal. You said 
in the email that you might have some weird stuff still left for me. Ah, I just got some weird stories that I I see weird stories and I tuck them away. Do you really? My saved. My yeah. I see them on Facebook and I'm like, oh, I'm going to save that because some night we're not going to have a guest and I'm going to need to have something to talk about. That was clever. (laughs) I just bing. You can just save it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Why not? So do you have one of those little gems for me right now? I have a little gem. I do right now. So this is this is called the Charfield Train Disaster Children Mystery. What? Charfield Train Disaster Children Mystery. That's what it's entitled. Hey, I didn't write it. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. Wow. Okay. So on October thirteenth, nineteen twenty eight. Of course, October thirteenth. Which was a Friday. (laughs) Probably was. A mail train carrying 60 passengers was making its way from Leeds to Bristol, but never reached its destination. What? Thick fog obscured a red signal at the Charfield Railway Station in Gloucestershire, and the train crashed into a freight train. Ouch. Gas used to light the carriages ignited, and four carriages were burnt out. The driver of the mail train was charged with manslaughter, but was subsequently acquitted. Sixteen people died in the crash, including two young children, a boy and a girl, who were so badly burned they couldn't be identified. No, no one came forward to identify the children, which in itself was strange, but the mystery deepened after a memorial was built in remembrance of the victims. A woman dressed in all black would visit the memorial several times a year, including every anniversary of the disaster. Until the late 1950s when she presumably passed away herself. On that occasion, a member of the media tried approaching her and she ran off and wasn't seen again. There are numerous theories and myths as to the children's identities, including that they were illegitimate children of a royal family whose existence and deaths had to be hushed up, that they had been abandoned by their mother and put on the train, that the bodies were those of two waifs, <laughs> uh, orphans, who used to sleep under the railway, railway bridge where the crash occurred, or that they were actually adults of short stature, such as jockeys, <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Couldn't say midgets, apparently. Or even that there had been no children on board and that the remains were actually ventriloquist dummies. Hmm. However, according to the inquest, two young persons were among the dead and a porter who had inspected tickets at the Gloucester station, the last stop before the crash, recalled seeing two young persons of reasonable means traveling unaccompanied. To this day, there are sightings of the ghosts of the two children standing hand in hand near the crash site. That's pretty weird, huh? That's kind of cool, actually. I wonder if Steve knows about that. Well, well, why would no one come forward and say, hey, my kids were on the train? I mean, it's definitely suspicious. I think so. It could be. Yeah. I mean, it could be any of those things. Um, I don't know. Hmm. Really, really strange. But uh, it's a mystery. That's why it's a mystery. <laughs> and they're they're reporting hauntings in that area. That's what it says. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's what it says. I'm trying to see if there's any comments on here 
um, about it. I don't see anybody with anything to add. So, yeah. Well, this is an interesting story in itself. Uh, this is another one. My grandmother stole an ancient mummy hand from Peru and brought it <laughs> and brought a terrible curse home. <laughs> Great. <laughs> what? Well, I got to hand it to you, Ron. <laughs> ah, I like that. Uh... When I was a, ki- a kid, my grandmother lived with us. Now we always have had paranormal in the house, have activity in the house. But it has really intensified when I was around eight. It was only recently when I put the two and two together. And I'm pretty sure why the activity increased. She always would go on trips around the world. Back in the 70s, when I was eight, she went to the Amazon with my aunt. One day, they went to an ancient burial ground, the ruins of Peru's Chachilla Cemetery near Nazca. You know, the Nazca right. lines. You always pick these stories. I Honest know it. I don't know why swear. the hell I do, do it. Do it on purpose. Honestly. I screw up the English anyways. I know. Give them a foreign language. Go ahead. Yeah. Later that night, back at the hotel, Grandma showed my aunt a souvenir she had gotten. Out of her purse, she pulled out a effing hand. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she found the skeletal hand in the burial ground and thought it would make a good, uh, a good souvenir. My aunt freaked out <laughs> and insisted, <laughs> yeah. insisted that she return it. So the next day, they uh, talked to the tour guide, and they arranged to go back to the burial ground. Mm-hmm. But the damage was done. One thing that happened was that immediately my grandmother developed a nail fungus. Oh, because she touched the zombie hand it was only on her thumbnails and big toes the the nails grew in a thick and yellow brown no treatment was ever successful in getting rid of it she kept in contact with several of the people from the tour and two of them came to visit us but uh only one only one was there when this happened I guess Mm -hmm. that's what she was saying. Uh, And the other thing was just as the activity in the house increased, but it was evil as well. Just a very dark entity. It's just kind of crappy writing. Uh, (laughs) Whenever it came around, you could just feel the change in the air and the dread. Dogs would go crazy. Sometimes it was physical. The entity uh, stayed with my family for 30 years oh, through, good several, Lord. through several moves. Thanks, Grandma. And finally stopped when my grandma passed away. Thank God she's dead. God <laughs> bless her. Good Lord. Get her yeah. out of the house. Get her out of here. <laughs> so what do you think? <laughs> I think it's okay. horrible. <laughs> oh, my grandparents uh, did not live with. No, my grandparents didn't live with us. I lived with them. They raised me from the age of two and were very religious, Irish, Italian, Catholic. All of us of my father's sides were gifted, psychically sensitive, empaths and mediums and so forth. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this is probably why the spirits find their way to us. Yeah, okay. Mm. I've had experience as long as I can remember, but this was most the in, most inherent evil one that I ever had. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go into all this other crap, but whatever. <laughs> the guy's been drinking too much. Dysfunctional. Oh, she saw. Wait a minute. Ooh, I like this one. Okay. So this went on for several years, uh, and now another scary thing is that my grandmother would often see something running in my room. Oh, God. I always knew when she'd see it because she'd call out my name, uh, kind of a question, question inflection, but with an edge. Uh, what the hell kind of writing is this? I don't know. I'm I'm trying to make head or tail of it, and I'm not. I am reading. too, and I'm reading the damn thing. <laughs> and then something would happen. Something would get knocked over, or move in my room, or sit on my bed. Oh. My dogs would go crazy. And at least a couple of times, I was pushed out of my bed. I'd go running and screaming, but then uh, brush it off, and everything would be go fine back in the room. Now, here's what completely disturbs me and will probably disturb you too. And by the uh, way, yeah, whatever. The description my grandmother gave you of this thing was it was half man and half goat. <laughs> it was a satyr. Satyr? How do you say it? S-A-T-Y-A, that mythological. How about a goat man? Goat man. That works. Goat man. Yeah, we're running out of time anyway. Yeah. I know it. So I can't believe the show's gone. <laughs> Where the hell did it go? I don't know. Just chatty, chatty. I guess so. Anyway, yeah. uh, today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts. Uh, and by the way, if you go to circlesofwisdom.com, you can check out my workshops there as well. And join me online. Also by the Gallant Messier Family Law Group on 15 High Street in... Oh, wait a minute. The show's not over. It's only halftime. Yeah. Oh, shit, I, I thought it was over. <laughs> Language. <laughs> that's, what happens, that's what happens when I do two hours. Okay, we're going to take a break right now. <laughs> oh, give me some scotch, will you? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, we'll take a break right now. We'll be right back after the following. I was wondering why that show went so fast. <laughs> Messages. <laughs> You're a mess. I am, totally. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the ghost box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet. 
Parallax Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. Yes, we came back for the second half, despite sure? Ron's best attempts. Welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation, everybody. Ah, no guests tonight. We're winging it. Uh, yeah. But yes, we do have another half an hour, Ron. I thought the show was over. Sorry. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, this, is, oh my this God. is frightening news. What? Huh? What now? A supermarket employee from Irving Supermarket got the scare of a lifetime when a crate unexpectedly moved and made her tumble. When the CCTV of the supermarket was later reviewed, the crate, the crate, the crate appeared to move on its own. Ooh, what was in Ooh. it? I got to find that out. The yeah. shop's owner. Oh, God. Here we go. Get ready, folks. Here it comes. I'm Rand Alley. Oh, that's not bad. Amran? Ali? 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 A-L-I? Ali, 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 Took to uh, social da, media da, da, with, the, da, da, with the CCTV footage and joked that the trick was played by the supermarket's ghost, who he called Stacy. Amran? <laughs> I don't know why that. Amran, Ali, also reported that staff members uh, was unharmed but appeared to have a sore butt. <laughs> the phenomena of the trickster ghost is not new. For decades, there have been many stories about unexplained pranks, some more harmful than other. Here are some examples. Okay. Okay, we got more examples. Uh, the story of the Silk Road spirits is not a new one. It is said that the deserts of Zuber. Uzbekistan mm-hmm. are home to evil spirits who love to confuse travelers and even steal their provisions. Unfortunately, there are reports of travelers making their way into the desert and never returning. Uh, even though, well, it is a desert. Could, yeah, even those could be attributed to the desert. <laughs> uh, yeah, no yeah, crap. yeah. Okay. Uh, no crap. No, no kidding. Yeah. Anyway, uh, an author by the name of Kirian Flanagan Broski. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't sound that hard, but anyways, yeah. Kirian Flanagan Broski. What kind Flanagan. of name is that? Flanagan. Not Flanagan, it's Flanagan. Whatever. Broski. Close enough, Broski. Yeah. Hey, Broski. Yeah. Anyway, she had a joke played oh, her in 2006 
when accompanied, accompanying a paranormal investigator by the name of Joe <laughs> Giaquinto, she found herself interviewing the owner of Lloyd's Antique, which was believed to be haunted. When she went in with a healthy dose of skepticism, she soon changed her mind. According to the owner, the ghost of his uncle Levi had a love for practical jokes. Uh-huh. And even though the property was a non-smoking area, visitors could regularly smell cigar soak on the premise. Mm. Uncle Levi tends to know things from what? Tends to know things from the shelves and knock no. tables over. Okay. T- tends to know things from the thing. I think it would be throw, probably Sounds throw good. things from the shelves. And it says no in the in the description. God, they they. They don't have a, a proofreader like I have. <laughs> <laughs> They're lost. Yeah. Once the interview was over, Joe, the owner, invited them to take a look upstairs and joked maybe Uncle Levi would throw something at them. The author laughed at the notion and headed up the stairs to look through some old photos. When she tried to grab her own digital camera to take some photographs, uh, the, it mysteriously dropped. Oh, she attributed the incident to clumsiness. Yeah, but an EVP uh, and an email from Joe would bring clarity. I honed right into the camera episode, which I thought would be a good starting point. Since I asked Levi to talk to us afterwards, the best EVP is when your camera is crashed and something like, oh, Levi, was that you? Right after that, you hear a guy's go, <laughs> You just picked up uh, best stories, huh? Make these, uh, you can't make these up. Uh, I, uh, okay. God, that's, that was so good. I hope you have something better than that. that I, like, I think I do. Yeah, well, anything's so, better than that, no offense. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, speaking of pandemics, right? Sure. Do you know what a plague doctor is? You know those plague doctor masks where they oh, have yeah, 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 like yeah. a big beak and they're yeah, kind like of yeah, leather so cool. and yeah. goggles. They're really yeah. funky looking. Funky, well, yeah. I I never realized. I always just thought that this was just something that somebody like pulled out of a movie or oh, made no, up real. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So so the plague doctor. I saw this this article about the plague it's not doctor. Like a disc jockey. Beak masks. The plague yeah. doctor, a disc jockey, jockey, sure, uh, uh, DJ, yeah, okay, like uh, sure, sure. I don't. So the plague doctor's beak masks are an image that many people instantly recognize, but know little about. That's me. Uh, with its elongated beak and dark, soulless eyes, have long been replicated in costume shops around the world. Indeed, so frequently are these masks worn at parties, one might be tempted to think it is designed entirely imagined by mask makers for such occasions. Of course. But as to where the actual mask originated and what purpose it served during a plague outbreak is often less well known. I think I'm going to start wearing one of these suckers. I'm going to tell you that. Okay, although the plague ravaged Europe in the 14th century, killing nearly two-thirds of its population, the earliest textual description of the mask dates from the 17th century. 
Charles de Lorme, chief physician to Louis the Eighth and likely inventor behind the design, wrote, sure. The nose is half a foot long, shaped like a beak, filled with perfume with only two holes, one on each side near the nostrils, but that can suffice to breathe and carry along with the air one breathes, the impression of the herbs enclosed further along in the beak. Under the coat, we wear boots made in Moroccan leather or goat leather from the front of the breeches in smooth skin that are attached to said boots and a short sleeve blouse in smooth skin. I don't know what that means. The bottom of which is tucked into the breeches. The hat and gloves are also made of the same skin with spectacles over the eyes. So basically, uh, you know, you want to think that he was trying to protect himself against the germs by wearing something akin to a modern-day biohazard suit. Mm-hmm. However, a coherent germ theory did not emerge until the mid-19th century with the experiments of Joseph Lister, Robert Koch, and Louis Pasteur. That said, Delorme was trying to protect himself against something he believed was just as insidious and just as dangerous as we understand germs to be today. Miasma, or poisonous vapors, associated with decomposition and foul air. Delorme imagined that the herb stuffed in the end of the beak would purify the air and prevent the plague doctor from breathing in the miasma, while the leather overcoat, breeches, boots, and gloves would ensure that the skin was not exposed at any time. The hat was that which was typically worn by physicians during that time period, and therefore served purely as a symbolic purpose. It's a really cool hat, though. I have to say that. Okay. Uh, the wooden cane, because the plague doctor always has a cane, uh, the wooden cane, on the other hand, was likely used to keep patients at a distance or else direct caregivers on how to move the bodies of infected victims during examinations. How's that for social distancing, right? Mm, they just cool. carry a great big old six-foot stick. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was not used, as some suppose, to beat away the rats who are today widely believed to have carried the fleas, which infected people with the plague. It's difficult to know how widely used the plague mask was in the 17th and 18th centuries. Most physicians fled the city (laughs) during outbreaks, leaving the dying to fend for themselves. Those who did remain behind rarely mention it in their writing, making the mask all the more elusive to historians. Today, the plague mask lives on in the imaginations of artists, writers, and filmmakers. Uh, Through them, it has been transformed into something altogether different, for the plague mask, which was once used to ward off death, has now become the very symbol of it, which I would agree with. You see one of those suckers coming at you, you're like, oh, I'm going to die. Punch it right in his nose. Uh, They're really, really cool, though, Um, all the different – I mean, I've gone to any number of Halloween parties um, where someone has been – totally decked out in one of these they're really cool it's very steampunky yeah, it is really very very steampunk. steampunk oh it's still out there is it yeah i, miss it. I thought it was cool yeah i did too we'll just we'll, we just have to to get back into it that's all yeah we'll have to do a a retro show <laughs> okay might as well i don't know what else we're gonna do <laughs> i would think we would be able to start doing shows 
reasonably soon. That would be nice. We'll just sit a little further away from each other. Thank God. <laughs> We're probably six feet away from each other between the table no, and No, I was just thinking, you, I've got a way now. Ah, that's a good idea. What? So, with yeah. this social distancing thing, right? Uh-huh. You're supposed to be away from people, right? Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to come up with a one of those, you know, a bra that, like, they have <laughs> from Bette Mill and Madonna used to wear, the big pointy ones, but make them, you know, six foot long, you know, because <laughs> they'll actually need the extra under harness thing and, and over a wow. But then, you know, you could get people six feet, keep six feet away from you with these pointed uh, protrusions. Really? How are you think? supposed to remain standing upright? Oh, no, because it it's made with this special harness so that it pulls back on your shoulders. It's actually be good ergodomeric for you. Uh, so you'll, you'll actually end up with a better posture. Yeah, okay. It sure. will because it'll have, yeah. it'll have extra under, uh, under brawy support. Yeah, I'm going to go with my six-foot plague doctor stick. Okay. That'll keep so. people the hell away from me. I think, you know, I did, you know, okay. You could actually, if you want to make sure, you could put a little poison on the tip of the (laughs) brow. All right, sure. I'm just saying. Whatever you say, Van Helsing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That people can wear it on National Bikini Day. Yeah, absolutely. Right? No, because no, you really have to. It's it's you know it's no, you couldn't wear it on. You need no, no, (laughs) because you got the harness and everything. It would be kind of like no, no. All saying. right. What hey, this is an interesting story, and uh, it's occurred on uh, December thirteenth, nineteen forty-three. Oh, there it is again—the thirteenth. Oh, oh my God! Isn't that what amazing? That, isn't that just how that keeps happening? It is. It's amazing. <laughs> in the early mile, in the hours, oh God, early mo- morning hours of Sunday, oh, yeah. December thirteenth, nineteen forty-three. A B-24 Liberator took off from Westover Air Force Base in Chicopee, Massachusetts, for a training flight in preparations of an overseas duty. It was never seen again. Mm-mm. And was pers- yeah, it was never seen again. There were eight men on board, uh, two officers and six enlisted men. And uh, they give all their names and where they came from, so I'm not going to go into that because you know me and names. Yes, I do. It is believed that the aircraft assigned to the 759th Bomber Squadron, which was stationed in Westover uh, at the time, was leaving for overseas duty in January 1994. But sadly enough, it didn't happen. Mm. They disappeared. Oh, no. Mm. Isn't that sad? Oh, that's the end? Yeah, that's it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Disappeared. You never found it? Never found it. Huh. That you know, I interviewed this this girl. In fact, she wrote a book, uh, which is kind of cool, Haunted Hikes. Mm-hmm. And it's all about uh, New Hampshire. Uh, and you, one of the hikes, you can go see the wreckage of a uh, World War II plane that's crashed into the mountain up in New Hampshire. Mm. It's still there. Neat. Wow. That was a cool book. I wonder what I did with that. You know what was great? Because the the cover of it was the state of New Hampshire, but mm-hmm. it was made like 
glow in dark paint so it would glow at night. So <laughs> probably great at night, like you could put your beer down in bed if you were watching TV or something, and you could see it easily. So that's <laughs> yeah. All right, it, if you say it, so. And it was like you know it had a plastic covering, so it was you could put the beer on there and it could be a coaster. Exactly, that's what I'm saying about it. Was the state of New Hampshire, which covered the whole thing, glue in the dock, glowed in the dock, so you could put your beer on it, and it was plastic covered, so you, you didn't have to worry about ruining the book. So it was a perfect, ideal thing. You're sitting in bed and you know put your beer down there, or your, or your Morgan and Coke, and uh, you know, there it is. I usually don't bring my booze to bed with me. Really? It's kind of an awake kind of daytime thing or really? whatever. Daylight. To each their own. Not. Yeah, whatever. Each their own. You say so. Each their own. All right. I have another story. Oh, I, I love the cemetery story. story. Oh, I love cemetery stories. Oh, I know you do. All right. So this is about the cast iron dog that guards little Florence Bree's grave. So this is in uh, Hollywood Cemetery, but in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, And uh, the cast iron dog guards little Florence Bree and is one of the most curious and beloved of all the grave markers in the cemetery. When Florence Bree passed away at the tender age of just two years, seven months from scarlet fever on February 7th, 1862, the cast iron dog was placed at her graveside. However, even after 150 years, the story as to how the cast iron dog came to be there is a cause of much debate. One such story has it that Florence's elder brother begged his father for this dog, which used to stand outside a merchant shop in Richmond. The father eventually bought the dog for him, and when his little sister Florence died of scarlet fever, fever, the dog was placed at her grave to look over her. It is also said that the cast iron dog was placed there not only to watch over Florence, but also to save it from being melted down for Confederate bullets during the Civil War. Another story surrounding the statue is that the cast iron dog's owner remembered how much the girl liked to pat the statue when she went past his store, so he gave it to her family to guard her grave. Another version goes on to say the family purchased the cast iron dog from the store owner but placed it in the graveyard even before little Florence passed away to save the treasured family possession from being melted down for Confederate bullets. So ever since the cast iron dog was placed there, however, for over 150 years, stories still circulate that the dog moves around on her gravesite, that its eyes follow visitors and that its bark is heard at night. Visitors to Hollywood Cemetery often place gifts and decorate the grave with coins, jewelry, toys, and the like by placing them at the dog's feet and on little Florence's grave. Aww. Aww, that's so sweet. It's a big dog, too. Yeah? Yeah. I should put a picture of it. Should. On our uh, site, if I can download it, I'll see if I can, uh, yeah, I can download it. Uh, Yeah, it's pretty big. It's actually bigger than the grave. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So. So that's my story. Some aeronautical mysteries actually predate the airplane. Did you know that? No. How is that possible? A case in point involves the disappearance of Professor Edward D. Hogan. 
and that's is it. Airship America <laughs> in eighteen eighty nine. The America was an eighteen thousand cubic foot gas filled balloon shaped like a breakfast sausage <laughs> with a with a gondola slung beneath it. What made the airship different than any other traditional balloon that it was motor driven by an eight foot long propeller to give it steering capabilities and allow it to navigate the sky at will. Wow. Sounds pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Actually, there's a little picture of the thing. It's pretty cool looking, actually. Anyways, on the morning of uh, July 18th, 1889, Professor Hogan climbed aboard his airship in Brooklyn, New York. And after giving a prearranged signal, the boring lines were released. To everyone's surprise, the balloon shot up a 1,000 feet in less than a minute, where the winds began to push it in the opposite direction the professor had intended. Not to worry, he's got this propeller on it. Hogan started the engine, hoping to gain control, but as he did, the propeller suddenly broke free and fell to earth. Oh, (laughs) God. (laughs) The America quickly drifted eastward out over Long Island Sound and out of sight, being blown, yes, and out of sight. Wow. Uh, so anyways, one report uh, says, it, which appeared in the uh, Evening Bulletin in uh, Mayville, Kentucky, in July 8, 19th, 1889, indicates a possible explanation. According to the airship's inventor, the craft was not built according to the specifications in that it released the valve, allowed the air to escape from the balloon, uh, but... It was well above the pilot's heads. Otherwise, he couldn't reach the, the valve to make it. You know, if you released the, the air in it, you could go, the gas, excuse me, it would descend it. Mm-hmm. So that's what it's saying. So uh, it was too far him to him to reach. Anyways, about 5.30 that evening, the America was uh, sighted by a schooner 10 miles off of Sandy Hook, Long Island. The crew later reported the balloon was dragging a rope beneath the water. The schooner gave chase, but as soon as it got close, the rope suddenly released, and the crash abruptly ascended in the air hmm. again and outdistanced the boat. Hmm. And it oh, disappeared and never was seen again. Never seen again. Never wow. seen again. Maybe still floating up there. Maybe. Hmm. Maybe it's out over the Bermuda Triangle. Ooh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> anyway. Who knows? Who knows? So people that have been wondering when we're going to start the uh, TV show up again. And yeah. uh, uh, what's the story there at the studio? Well, I think that um, I, I, I'm not 100% sure. I just haven't been there a lot myself lately. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'll have to let you know. I'll have okay. to let you know. I so would we- imagine that we're – we're all allowed to come back to work now and we wear our masks um, that I would imagine we'd probably be opening again, maybe by August. Mm -hmm. I I can't tell you a hundred percent. I wish I could give you a definite answer. Okay. All right. So yeah, there are some things we would like Uh, to do that again someday. (laughs) We are attempting our first red light sands, uh, uh, since the pandemic, this is the red light sands we've been holding monthly in the same mm-hmm. day for over six years. Mm-hmm. And when the pandemic came, we've 
how to stop it. So we are going to start up this month with a, a, a very limited number of people all wearing masks. And depending on how this goes, we'll decide in the future whether we will do any more or not because uh, all our research has been held up on uh, this because of that. But anyway, right. so huh. do you – how many do you normally have at the red light stands? Oh, we can have quite a few. We can have up to 14 people. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. too, that's too so bad. So we're limited to six. Yeah. yeah. I would so, agree with that. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So um, you do have a mask, I assume? Oh, I have many masks. Oh, you do? I have you a make wonderful sh- No. I tried. Mm-hmm. I, I have just a, my mom's old Singer sewing machine, which is probably, oh, God, I don't even know how old it is right now. It's probably from the 40s, Um, maybe the 50s. But anyways, uh, I tried to make one. I'm not a really – I can make a pillow, but that's the full extent of myself. (laughs) Um, And I can, you know, hem pants. But uh, no, I have purchased all my – or friends have made me masks. My friend (laughs) – my good friend Sherry made me a bunch of masks. My good friend Sue made me a mask. Any cool ones? Um, yes, I have a sugar skull one. That's what ah. I started to say. I bought that from uh, Kamala Boutique in, uh, God, where is she? Uh, Holliston mm-hmm. Mass. And, uh, yeah, she has some awesome masks. Uh, so Excellent. it's all sugar skulls. I'm like, I have to have this. So, yeah, I got a lot. I have uh, I have the bride and the groom from uh, De Puerto, uh, whatever the hell it is, the Day of the Dead. Dia de las Muertas. Yeah, that one there. Yeah. Nice. Yep, uh, it's the bride and the groom skeletons, of course. Ah. My mask. Where'd you get uh, that? Uh, my sister-in-law made it for me. I have like three of them. Uh, <sighs> they're very colorful and black black background and the, the skeletons uh, on them they're very can you get very one cool. for me what please? can you get what? one for me please, please yeah i'll breathe please. i'll breathe in it first just uh, mail tomato breathe on it no 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 no, no. you're not getting it anyway i don't want uh, yours the question so here's the problem though um yeah. I, you know, after many months, uh, our church opened up, so we were yeah. allowed to go back to church on reservations. Uh, normally, we can have about 600 people. There were 50. <laughs> uh, yeah. So two weeks ago, uh, Jan was asked to do the reading in church, and there was one spot, and I managed to score that for the uh-huh. mask. So we went to mass for the first time, so I wore my mask, and I did wear my mask, which is the... Day of the Day mask. Yes. <laughs> and I was just wondering if that was apropos. I, you know, I says, oh, I don't, I'm not sure if I should be wearing this. And then uh, I went to Awake uh, just a couple of days ago, and I wore the mask again uh, with the skeletons on it. And uh, just what's, what's your thoughts on that? Is, am I over the edge on this? I don't think so. No? No. Okay. Make I don't me feel think good. so. I, I. Wear mine everywhere. I compliments it on, on all the time. I mean, sugar skull. She's a sugar skull. I mean, it's you know, float your boat. All right, we've run out of time for real ah, this time. For geez, real this time. For real. You, you sure? You sure? Yep. We want to all thank right. everyone for listening. Of course, today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, three eighty six Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts, and a Galant Messier Family Largo, fifteen High Street in North Andover, Massachusetts. And it's good to hear your voice again. Yeah, you too. 
Hey, everybody, have a great 4th of July. Be careful out there. Yeah, wear your mask. Wear your mask and wash your hands. Yeah. So, good night. Good night and God bless. Stay safe. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.